0: Ooh, Carmen, what you reading? I'll be hearing you on that little podcast and stuff, girl.
1: Hello,
2: everyone. My name is Claxton Wong. I'm Carmen's father. And you are tuning to a very special
1: episode of What You're Reading, this series.
3: Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Carmen Wong. I'm the host and curator of What You Read in this series, book list and podcast. Please make sure you're following us on Instagram at What You Read in this series. I'm very excited about this episode as I am about every episode because I was able to sit down with a few folks who would consider themselves US citizens and or citizens of this world. This podcast episode is strictly about languages and the way language informs literature, the way culture informs literature, and the way cultural identity informs literature and the ways we talk about literature. So, When I first brought this podcast to fruition in episode one, I explained that it was very important that we understood the function of oral literature in the larger conversation of literary canons and literary texts. And so part of my job and my role today is to make sure that we push that to the forefront. You'll hear from readers today who share stories that are written down And then you'll hear from some folks today who are sharing stories that aren't necessarily written down and have been passed along to them. You'll hear from it in their native languages and they've joined us today to talk a little bit about it in English so that we can understand what's happening and we can understand a little bit of their culture. I think that is so crucial and something that we often do not give room to. But today's episode is near to my heart because I realized that in the process of putting it together that I was doing something much more. And that was allowing people to be free and open and really use their language to create space and conversation to show their culture and who they really are. And in the process of doing this, I would be remiss not to talk a little bit about linguicide and how that usually can be informed in, in many processes of migration and oftentimes enforced migration. And so when we think about the diaspora and the dispersal of people, we also have to think about the ways language and cultures also become erased And as someone who was born in another country and raised in the USA, I know that too well. And as I spoke with some folks and I asked them to join this episode, we began to talk about the freeness that it brought them in a way that I don't think I could have conceptualized beforehand. And so I am so proud to have that space to make folks feel comfortable to speak their native languages And one of the conversations that I had about it was the way language is sometimes the last tie that we feel or the last thread that we feel to our cultural roots and knowing where we're from. And when that's stripped from us, sometimes we feel like we're losing our own identities. In other cases, I was able to feature some folks who may have moved to the U.S., but they still held on to their native tongue. And that's what this is all about. It's creating space for different forms and functions of identity in the roles of literature and giving exposure to who we are around the world because we are not, in fact, the only country that has writers and readers and artists. But this is going on across the world and there needs to be space for that. And we have to be able to identify what these cultural um transitions are what that means for us as scholars of literature and i think that it is crucial that we understand orality and the function of language oral language in the transcribing of literature and so i'm so pleased to bring this episode together because I didn't expect this as well, but I think in many cases, including my own, it also brought families together. So thank you so much for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy.
4: Hello, awesome listeners. Um, my name is Gigi at Just Gigi on Instagram, and um, I am—I consider myself a creative. I love all things that have to do with art, literature music, movies, you name it. I am really big on the art, really big on the creative aspect. It is my escape. And I feel as if every little single thing in life, you can find art in it. And that's what makes it extremely beautiful. I am from Haiti. I was born in Haiti. Um, I was not raised in Haiti. I came to America at a very young age. But um. The culture of the language has made me and shaped me and has literally governed the way that I carry myself, the things that I do. And so I feel that Haiti is a huge part of me as well as my identity. Um, Before I share the poem that I chose with you, I just want to share a little um, tradition that we have within the country, and I'm sure a lot of other countries might be able to relate as well. So within our country, we like storytelling. Storytelling is huge, specifically when you're young, you're sitting at home, not really doing anything. The elders might call all the children together and they will either do one of two things. They will either tell you a story or they will give you riddles to solve. Um, As it pertains to the riddles, The person who is telling the riddles will say click. And the person who is going to guess the answer to the riddle will say clack. The click is a way of saying, okay, I'm ready to say it. And the clack is acknowledgement that we're ready to listen. Um, One of the, it's cute, corny, but in my native language, it makes more sense. But one of the riddles my mother shared with me is uh, one that says, wherein she says, click I respond with "clack," and then she says I will meet you and at first I didn't get it and I was kind of like you will what and she says I will meet you and I'm like uh the road and she says no a belt as in the belt will meet to buckle kind of corny but very cute and adorable in my opinion um another one that we do is team team was um, the way that one is, it's for storytelling. Uh, the storyteller will say, tin. the story listener will say, and then they will begin the story. Um, it's just such a really sweet tradition. It's rooted in my childhood. One of the fondest memories I have of being in Haiti, being around the elders, being around older kids. And so I wanted to share that memory with you. Um, The poem that I am going to read, it's actually not a poem per se and unfortunately, I don't know specifically who it's written by because it was pulled out of educational material. Um, The poem is called Liberty Tree um, and I am going to read it in Creole and then I will give a little bit more information. As to what the Liberty Tree means. So here we go. Palmi, mwen don't know who is here. Who is here? Who is ou Who is here? Who is liberte. Palmy, I don't know whos here whos here whos Palmi, Ou est tout bagay? Ou kon tout sa kap pase? Mwen ren men parye sou? Mwen pare men parye sou toton? Apil se magouye, jolboke, malvenyan, grandam, gouloupya. Yo tap goumen pou liberte. Yo pap goumen pou liberte. Me, ou te kampe djamme? sous terre saline à tout depuis en vingt ou camper ou camper droite couler crête à pied haut le ciel ou camper droite tant cou ou femme songer et wonu yo l'engardeau nous t'avons et tout aïsien fiel tant cou libre tant même gens ou gain liberté ou Pami lot pievoir m'a pas parié sur ou pas parié sur tonton tonton yo confiance même gens oiseaux yo faire confiance pour pas dénicher so that poem is called pievoir liberté also meaning the liberty tree On the Haitian flag, we do have the palm tree, um, which signifies liberty. Um, On the Haitian flag, it was created after we gained our independence from the French. And part of what you'll see on there is uh, it, it speaks about unity, liberty, and it speaks about unison and all of that great stuff. And on there, right smack dab in the middle of our flag, is the palm tree and that is what the poem was talking about um the poem was talking about how the liberty tree is one that is very um meaning very hopeful very prideful it's one that you that can be trusted because it stands tall among all the other trees um and it's kind of like a you it really speaks to the people and the heroes of the past and all the things that they sacrificed and how they stood tall and how they were willing to go to battle for us. So it's almost really just comparing the Liberty tree to the people who fought for our liberty. And that poem is important for us because literally it has shaped who we are. Um, I'm not sure if a lot of people know this, but Haiti is one of the first black nations to gain its independence and therefore this poem is kind of representing all of that and which is in essence why we have it on our flag why we're saying the poem is saying that it is trusting of the tree and it is looking to the tree um and it's for hope and for pride so that was my poem i thank you so so much for listening and I hope that you will give more Haitian literature a try because it is very, very beautiful and it can be a language of romance and love.
5: My name is uh, Christopher Luis Romaguera and I'm a writer living in New Orleans. I recently got my MFA in fiction at the University of New Orleans. I have work shown in the Daily Beast, Curbed National, Podunk Review, New Orleans Review, and other publications. I am a monthly columnist at the Plowshares blog, and I was also featured on episode three of this podcast. Today, I'm going to be reading a poem from Pablo Neruda, who is a Chilean poet and author. I'll be reading it first in his native Spanish, which is the language uh, that my parents and misabuelos spoke, me being of Cuban descent and growing up, in Miami, Florida, for being born in Hialeah. This poem is I will read in Spanish and then I will read in English. Akayatsé. Ahora contaremos doce y nos quedamos todos quietos. Por una vez sobre la tierra no hablemos en ningún idioma. Por un segundo De tegamonos no movamos tanto los brazos. Sería un minuto fragante, sin prisa, sin locomotoras. Todos estaríamos juntos en una inquietud instantánea. Los pescadores del mar frío no harían daño a las ballenas y el trabajador de la sal miraría sus manos rotas. Los que preparan guerras verdes, guerras de gas, guerras de fuego, victorias sin sobrevivientes, se pondrían un traje puro y andarían con sus hermanos por la sombra sin hacer nada. No se confunda lo que quiero, con la inacción definitiva. La vida es solo lo que se hace. No quiero nada con la muerte. Si no pudimos ser unánimes moviendo tanto nuestras vidas, tal vez no hacer nada una vez, tal vez un gran silencio pueda interrumpir esta tristeza, este no entendernos jamás, y amenazarnos con la muerte. Tal vez la tierra nos enseñe cuando todo parece muerto y luego todo estaba vivo. Ahora contare hasta doce, y tú te callas y me voy. In English, this poem is called Keeping Quiet. And now we will count to 12 and we will all keep still. For once on the face of the earth, let's not speak in any language. Let's stop for one second and not move our arms so much. It would be an exotic moment without rush, without engines. We would all be together in a sudden strangeness. Fishermen in the cold sea would not harm whales and the man gathering salt would not look at his hurt hands. Those who prepare green wars, wars with gas, wars with fire, victory with no survivors, would put on clean clothes and walk about with their brothers in the shade doing nothing. What I want should not be confused with total inactivity Life is what it is about. I want no truck with death. If we were not so single-minded about keeping our lives moving and for once could do nothing, perhaps a huge silence might interrupt this sadness of never understanding ourselves and of threatening ourselves with death. Perhaps the earth can teach us as when everything seems dead and later proves to be alive. Now I'll count up to 12 and you can keep quiet and I will go. Thank you.
2: Hello again, Um, this is Sadia Malcolm. You might recognize my voice from the previous episode, um, episode five, where you heard me reading from one of my favorite texts Um, today. In that same tradition of Black storytelling, I'm coming to you sharing a story that was shared with me from my grandfather, um, who has passed on, but I carry that story with me a lot through life because it was talking about perspective. Um, So just a brief summary of the tale. It talks about a monkey going into the jungle um, and feeling really hopeless about life. Um, And he says he's going to end his life. Um, And when he goes up into the tree, he peels a banana, throws it on the floor, and somebody in in another animal in the jungle comes past and sees the banana peeling eats the banana peeling and keeps walking but as the monkey is looking down from the top of the tree he's realizing wow maybe life isn't as bad as i feel and maybe i just need to reorient my thinking and i love this story a lot in the tradition of black storytellers black writers um my grandfather is Um, He was born in Jamaica. Um, He is from Jamaica. And so this is a tale that, you know, a lot of Jamaican people might know because it's, you know, a popular parable. And so I'm really excited to be sharing that with you all today. If you want to hear more context behind the story and Carmen and I's conversation around the art of storytelling, venerating um, Toni Morrison, right, and her contribution to how we understand ourselves in the world, you can find that on my podcast at let's spill the details you can find it on anchor you can find it on spotify you can find it on um apple podcast and it's let's spill the details d e e t a i l s enjoy one day one monkey did a more prone the jungle and him say you know what I'm tired of life and I, I to hang myself and so him climb up in our tree him pick up a banana up and him we have to you know him climb up the tree him sitting on the top of the tree and him look up to the stone and him say, you know what? I ate this. Me going peel the banana, me gonna eat it, and me gonna hang myself and jump off. And you know, saying peel the banana, him open up the peel and him drop it back down on the ground. And the next thing that him say, when I'm fellow animal them walk past, take up the banana peeling and eat it and walk gone. And him sitting and him said to himself. You know, Semiaga, come down.
6: Great. Hi, uh, my name is Trona Snag-Joseph. I uh, graduated from a small school called Russell Sage College in Troy, New York. And I'm currently a math teacher. Uh, I think it's important to ensure that students have quality um, educations. And it's one of the things that I've prided myself on because I did receive a great education and was able to just be myself without judgment, but also knowing that I'm always going to have someone to push me. And so that was part of the reason why I went into education. Uh, I think for me, one of the biggest pieces and the hardest pieces is being from St. Lucia, which is a small country in the Caribbean, um, and being able to bring that culture uh, to America. I moved here uh, 10 years ago, and I think the hardest pieces for me, or the hardest part of that, was being able to embrace that culture while still trying to figure out what the American culture was about And so I had to put all of those things or whatever my culture was or I felt like I needed to put it on the back burner to just fit into um, American like the society and what people thought. And I think what resonated with me the most was being in school or in high school and people hearing me uh, talk my native language, which is Creole. It is similar to Haitian uh, Creole, but it's a little bit more broken down, whereas Haitian Creole is more towards the French uh, side of it. We do have some of that in it, but it's a little bit more broken down. Um, There are some words, of course, that we say in English when we do speak uh, the language or we're in conversation because... Uh, with the language, there is no like said dictionary, like let's say, for example, there's like a French dictionary. So you're able to like, look up some of the words. And that language is more set in stone. Uh, Creole is more like flexible. um, And if you might, and it allows us, I think, or me to be able to express myself, and to be my own self when I am talking uh, that language. So I think being able to like do that and just embrace that is something that I had to learn. And part of, part of the reason why I think I strayed away from embracing the fact that I could speak Creole is because I felt like I was an outlier. Um, in any setting that I would be in where people don't speak the language or people make fun of me because I did speak a different language uh, than they did. And I think for me, it was also being able to embrace that I had an accent that people did not understand um, or had that language that some people didn't understand. And so as I grew older, I, I think that I understood why my parents pushed me to speak that language. So I'm just going to say like a few things in Creole while I am talking. So I will switch back and forth from speaking Creole to English, and I will obviously uh, translate it for you guys to hear. So, that means that Creole is my mother's tongue. It just means that this is the language that most people in my country would speak, especially the older people. Uh, happy so like some stuff like that it's like I like to speak Creole because it makes me happy happy is not really a word that I have learned to say I'm pretty sure there's a word for it but that um, going back and forth between the English and the Creole is what I meant uh, when I previously said um, made that statement Um, I think that when we speak Creole, it not only allows me to connect to that culture, but it makes me feel that this is something that I would want to teach my kids one day if I had kids. And I I grew up with uh, children or even friends today that don't know how to speak Creole because their parents didn't want to expose them to it because they didn't see it as something that was necessary uh, for them to learn. And I think that Learning to embrace our culture is something that is super super important uh, for us uh, to do, and it's something that I've definitely had to learn over time. But it's made me the person that I am, and I don't know what I would do without that culture um, instilled into me as a young uh, as a young girl. I'm just gonna say a few more like known things that, (laughs) as a Caribbean child, you would hear your mother say it uh, sometimes, and. Either it's an argument, or if you didn't wash the dishes, or, you know, you're learning those lessons from your parents. Uh, I think some of those things, which my mom says to me a lot, which um, one is, pa weh, che pa kafe mal. and that just means that what your eyes don't see, what you can't physically see, Uh, it won't hurt your heart. And some that's something that's really, really, really resonated with me as I grew older. And it made me see like, yeah, if I can't see something, typically, it doesn't make me feel any type of a way. And like, if, you know, sometimes people do the whole word of mouth thing, like he say, she say thing, but it, made me realize that as a person if you don't physically see something there's no way for you to actually feel that pain and that's something that i've kept with me um while i was growing up another thing that um another phrase that older people use is tanto tanto which just means time will tell uh it typically comes up in like situations where you know, something happens that is not really great, or you know, someone tells you about a situation and you like as a parent, you warn them and say, Yeah, time will tell if that will go good or not. So I would hear my mom say tanto, tanto a lot when I get into situations. Um, another one of those is puva ava du va which just typically would just simply means to take front before it takes uh, takes you. In other words, Uh, it could make it means like preparing for a storm before the storm catches you. Um, And so when I think about this, I think about us being in situations or kind of like, being prepared for a situation, even if we, you know, might think it might go one way, but just preparing for kind of like preparing for the worst. uh, That's something that I I would always like not just tell myself but as an adult um, be prepared for especially like for me I've seen it a lot in myself as I became a teacher and grew older that I have to be prepared regard like for the worst especially when you're ready to execute a lesson or something like that Uh, those are some of the things that I think about and I think it's us not being as adults like growing up and not embracing that culture and people continuously saying, if I start to speak Creole, if I say I speak Creole, someone will ask me, oh, are you from Haiti? And just that disconnect between not just people from outside of the Caribbean, but people within like the U.S. that I've met, um, or people from other cultures that don't understand that one like there's not just one country that speaks one language just like the us is not the only um country that speaks english there are different dialects spoken across different countries and the caribbean is not doesn't mean that it's just one country i want people to bring awareness to the fact that in the caribbean culture there are so many other cultures within that culture like yes we celebrate the same things, we do a lot of the same things, but a lot of those are different. Um, Which brings me to like, talking about the culture, one of the biggest, biggest, most fun cultures in St. Lucia is something called Fet Kweol, which is a day where we Um, it's a specific day, but that entire month is dedicated, it's in October, to just celebrating the cultures. So we talk about uh, the food that we eat, Um, we spend a lot of time listening to cultural music, talking in the native language, um, spending time just doing cultural things like going to the rivers, eating out of calabash, uh, that are dried and just indulging in those things with people that you care about and people like your loved ones and i think that in itself is kind of to me phasing out and is not as cultural as it used to be and so allowing myself to make sure that i still have my creole background is something that i really really want to hold dear to me and i want other people uh, to learn about it, because I think it's super, super important uh, to, to teach people those things that they might not know, um, and not have the ignorance around it. Right? So I just want to uh, end by saying, uh, which means that we are all people, and we are all beautiful. Thanks for having me.
7: Hi, everyone. My name is I Diallo. I have my mom on the line, Jenna Bubaze, and I have my cousin as well, Margaret Diallo. We all are from Guinea, West Africa. Uh, our native language is Fulani, so all three of us learned to speak Fulani first and then we got to learn English later on. Uh, for my cousin and my mom, they learn English as like a, a third, fourth language because French is also their second language. So we're here today to tell you guys about like the oral history, the oral stories that we that they grew up hearing, that I finally learned when I got older in life. So uh, we're gonna start off by explaining, we're gonna start off by explaining what it is and how we orally tell stories, and then my mom and my cousin is gonna uh, share a few stories with you guys, and then we're gonna wrap it up from there. So I'm excited for everyone to hear this. Um, my mom Instagram page is Zena Hair Braiding she owns her own uh, hair braiding shop out there in atlanta so definitely follow her if you want to get your hair done uh if you want to learn more about it seen a hair braiding my instagram is un- at underscore namaste i i share a lot of political things i share life journeys uh me and carmen also have our prom giveaway it's called carmen and eyes prom giveaway where we're uh, doing donations right now and we're definitely looking for any organizations to match us in our donations so thank you and so now we're going to start off so
1: Hey, my name is Magadio, and I'm about to tell you a little story that my little sister used to tell us a lot. So I'm going to say it in Pula first, and then I'll just try to translate it in English afterwards. Dalio. Ate. Konyanda go reno. Pai kumbira mako feyinni. Jo nan ba mako ye jambiti. Momari non jo ni sinirao. it out. koyo bira mako ye No. Be soni ni mobari nan No. Jo no. nan bira mako. No. Yeah. <laughs> Sinabiro Mako. No. Yeah. Hari umanaki, hari yidamu. No. Yeah. Joani non. Yeah. Sinabiro Mako non. Falaka motong handekari so. Joana moiseide warugalpai kunkun. Yeah. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> no. <Jeno>. Joano. <laughs> Anituan non. Samba non. No. Yeah. Ondo himo moti hame beat the Sinabiro Mako mot yafel No. Yeah. Ondo himo boni moyata ekol. Fusme kono. Bayo ko biromako. Biromako no yidi mo. ha. Mm. So samba yaha wada gullet info, yaha ka kachangol hoopa, mm. ara defa pijin info, jo no mari baronto se mm. Sina biramako anya munyamete, mm. bono e fitu. Mm. A nyande goranun bi uh sina biramako hari handin karrijo any fala kamo fell, mm-hmm. essa y wano water gul. Moduman mm. no no. Yande goranun mo ara mm. uh, samba ya kekol, man no. I've sina a bit of a mark on other. What deaf and needy. how much? What a sender. poison. What I would I am that. what poison. I say wali know. Mm-hmm. non kayas if you are a don't see Addy, some by A pre-non woman could bony no, know what am by by UT equal can't call mm-hmm. him on So, my it uh the bonong arrow in nyami, as can the monetary ni mwja. When I only know more ya mweek or info. Avan n no no, nah, nah, uh, <ownbil trials> so, baron bah samba kunang nung andinung yurmira Yurmirap Wadi poazan wonkaduma kan ya mete. So by samba uti ekol, Barry onko ni samba yo samba to turende. Nene ma to ture ture nde, na fala ma warde, ture ture ture. Apre, samba konon samba andiri no nyametea, no nako poazun. Apre, nanon be yehi non kadumo. Ka polise pijinifo, apre, nan. Sina abiron naba prison, apre kung e samba be yehi be, ehuridikam de ba be, ma be. Thali, fala. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is a really old story by the way Facts.
0: but
7: what is but say it in english now so everyone can understand all
1: right um uh, this happened in africa about you know a long time ago uh, we have this little kid named Samba. His mom passed away, and then he had to live with his stepmom. But his stepmom had also, like, another child that was about the same age as him, but she didn't really like Samba. But before uh, Samba's mother passed away, she got him a little dog. One day, Samba went to school, and then uh, uh his mom his stepmom decided to poison him because she didn't want him around anymore. That day... Samba went to school and while he was at school, the stepmother put poison in the food, but the little dog was watching. So after that, she just took the food, separated it, put some poison on one plate and then just uh, didn't put the rest of the poison in the other food because for her uh, son and hers. Uh, Afterwards, when Samba came from school... Uh, him and the little other boy, but that little other boy was kind of bad, so he didn't care, so he just came and picked up the food and ate it. He didn't even ask around or anything, but that was the food that contained poison. He got really sick, but before that, the way that Samba knew how they were poisoning that food and he didn't pick it, it's because of the little dog that was singing to him, and that's where the song comes, and then it says Samba, oh, Samba, Ture Turende, which basically means Samba, yes, your stepmother is trying to kill you. Don't eat the food. And then, yeah, after that they went, uh, they went to the hospital. Luckily, the boy made it, but the stepmother went to prison and everything. And then Samba and the little dog, Samba, the little dog, and uh, the other son all went to live with their father. And then which means the ending.
7: <laughs> <laughs> So usually when it comes to Talio, how often do our stories like that told?
1: Actually, they're pretty... Uh, every
7: day, every night.
1: Well, maybe back in Tanti's time, but like... <laughs>
8: <laughs> yeah, because Back in the days, we didn't have like TVs. Okay, after like, we used to play football. You know, we used to do like, okay, games, you know, football, basketball and all that. But when night comes, when the night falls it was no tvs so they have to find a way to keep people up so we, they be telling stories every night for like 30 45 minutes to 1 hour it's like a comedy make people laugh everybody's happy and then we go to sleep
1: okay. yeah you know
8: that? <sighs> every night we get together after dinner time that's what we do everybody be telling stories
7: around each one got their, their own
1: that was that was back, that was in, the days. Was back in the days
7: so so is it real stories, or are they made well, up stories, or are they somewhat real? Uh,
8: most of them, like uh, 80% I will. It's like things that related to people's lives. Some of them are just made ah. up to make people to laugh.
1: It's mostly like fairy tales, but through like them, because kids really like stories and stuff like that. Like just like TV, a lot of people pick up like a lot of lessons from it. Bro. So they're trying to like, you know, put some type of lesson in it. And then they just go from there. But, like, the more modern version of talio is yeah, really... It is
8: good, though. It's really, really good because it keeps the family together. It keeps people to get to know each other, spend time together. Man, It's it. not like these days now, people, everybody have their own phones or have they have own tablets sitting in their different rooms. Just when you get together, everybody be telling their own story. You, could, you get to laugh together, to play together, and spend time together. And good night comes, everybody's ready to go to bed, you, you give, say to each other, good night.
7: That's true. Oh. So, Papi, you was about to say something about the modern Talio. So, what's the modern right. Talio?
1: The modern Talio is, like, they still say the stories, but, like, not as much anymore, though. Because when I was, like, 13 or whatever, like, my sister used to tell me all these stories. That's how, like, I know them. But most of the time, it's, like... uh if we were either playing cards or we were playing some type of board game or something like that, then when everybody's tired or, like, they're losing too much, then we do, like, a story or two.
8: (laughs) Or not even that. Like, like
1: alpha. Oh, sometimes they try to scare you. (laughs) That's what it is, too. I remember Uh, they used to tell us, like, a lot of scary stories.
7: So do you remember a scary story?
1: Uh, They used to scare us about, like... uh, like genies and like devils and stuff like that. Pretty ah. typical. So it wasn't even like actual stories. They were just made up like on the spot. Mm. So they would just put a bunch of jumbo together just so you know you don't go downstairs and grab like a water or something. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Like
8: well, your your, your, your the brother Alpha. Your grandma okay. used to put him in his, uh, in her bed, sing to him until he fell asleep every
0: day. Okay.
7: So thank you to Carmen for having me, my mom, and my little cousin Poppy on this beautiful episode. And even uh, it gave me a chance to, you know, learn history that I never knew because we didn't do that for me growing up. But for them, that's like something that's traditional within the Guinean culture. and something that they do a lot back in Guinea. So thank you to Carmen for bringing this to light for us. And this was fun as a family for us to just sit down and go through stories and even just think through this process. Uh, I disclaimer. So we are all in different states. (laughs) My mom and my cousin is back in Atlanta. I'm in DC. And of course, Carmen is out in New Orleans. So that's our disclaimer, just in case anything is staticky or there's any type of variation going on with the recording. But thank you so much to Carmen for this beautiful platform of languages. It's something that's definitely missing in the storytelling world is all these different languages and hearing these stories come to light is beautiful. So thank you, Carmen.
3: I'm fortunate to have both of my parents featured on this episode. You heard from my dad in the introduction, and you heard from some of my friends. Everyone featured on this episode is someone that I have known growing up, in college, or even beforehand. So I was so excited to be able to display their cultures. And now you'll be able to hear a little bit from my mom because I'm in New Orleans, my younger sister, Nellie, was able to sit down with my mom, Rewati Wong, and my mom was able to share a few stories about her culture. We were all born in Guyana, but my sisters and I were raised in New York. My mom grew up in a very Hindu family versus my sisters and I who grew up in a very Christian family. So my sister, Nellie, sat down and was able to talk to her a little bit about her Hindu culture, and my mom shared a story with us.
0: I grew up in a Hindu family. We celebrate Pagwa, Mashamani, Diwali. Is there a story that goes with Diwali? Well, Diwali is when Ram went to the exile and he he returned with Sita. The place was very dark, so they decided to light up the dia, make the dia, and then light it. To show him the light that he could see way to come back. You speak about this thing called dia. What is it and how exactly do you make it? Well, dia is a wrong mud something. You have to make it with mud and sand and let it dry and then fill it with oil, coconut oil, or ghee. And make the week out of cotton. And then at 6 p.m., they start to light the deer and they carry it outside, they decorate the yard, they step the house, and it's the festival of light. Thank you for having us today, Carmen.
3: That's a wrap on episode six. Thank you everyone for tuning in. And as always, thank you to all of my guests for all of your time, all of your patience, for your families, and all your wisdom. I could not do any of this without you. Today's episode actually stemmed from a course that I was creating in Caribbean Poetry And I finally got it approved. It was something that I've been wanting to do now for about two years. And I decided that for the introduction of that course, I wanted to focus on linguistics. I wanted to focus on language and the ways that um, lingual identity informs literature and how, especially when we focus on regions such as the Caribbean or even any place across the African diaspora, how it's necessary for us to understand the identities of the folks in which we are reading about to better inform the ways that we write about them and talk about them. So this was such a pleasure for me. I'm so happy that I was able to share this from many different regions of this country. People were able to sit down with me virtually and share a little bit of their identity and a little bit of their stories growing up. And I'm so thankful for that.